Well, guys, I want to thank you for tuning in uh, to the Youth and Culture podcast and making this a part of your day today. Uh, if you're new for the podcast, welcome. If you've been listening for a while and you have not subscribed, left a rating and review, I would encourage you to do that. Again, that does help us uh, help those who are searching for youth ministry content. And I'm joined with my co-host today, David. Pinkham. Greetings, everyone. I am very happy to be here right now. Yes, and uh, and, and I'm, I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about uh, today because we're going to be interviewing about uh, talking about a subject that is very interesting and very relevant for what we're dealing with COVID. But speaking of COVID, David, I we've talked about this before, but you are stuck home. Why don't you share a little bit of why you're stuck home right now? Yeah, so I'm in quarantine. Um, as of the time of this recording, I'll be on day six. And by the time y'all hear this for the first time, I'll be on day nine. Um, this is a, a voluntary self-quarantine because um, back early July 11th, um, I, me and one of my youth leaders and eight of my teens went down to camp in Florida. And while we were down there, uh, cases in Florida spiked. And uh, the camp that we were working at had two more um, positive cases come back. And so at an abundance of caution and a desire to make sure that everyone stayed as healthy as possible, they actually shut down camp for the rest of the summer and sent everybody home. Uh, there's no, we didn't have any evidence of contact. Um, the people that the cases came back positive are, had already been in quarantine for about a week when those results had come back because they quarantine anybody who got tested regardless. And uh, so, you know, when we came back, uh, we decided that just to be safe and to show concern and care for those around us, we all self-quarantined for the next 14 days. So uh, I'm, I'm in my house alone with my dog and uh, my wife and my kids aren't even here. They're in Lynchburg with my in-laws waiting for me to come out of quarantine. I'm getting tested this Saturday and uh, this Saturday will be 13 or 14 days from the first potential contact point, if, if at all. So we're just being careful. Uh, it's very interesting. I'm trying not to go crazy. I'm super glad that we're recording today because it's keeping me busy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just glad to be here. And I'm, I'm thankful and I'm excited uh, for the topic at hand because um, I think it's a, it's a very timely interview uh, during a time where uh, everyone's outlook on church ministry, student-specific, children-specific, adult-specific, doesn't matter, but our view of church and how things uh, need to run has been upended uh, because of this whole pandemic. So uh, having conversations like the one that Ryan had today with his guest, uh, I think is a pertinent and well-timed conversation. No, I agree. And and the uh, person I had opportunity to interview and we're going to be hearing about today is Dr. Andrew Root, specifically 
on his new book uh, called The End of Youth Ministry. And yes, there is a question mark at the end of it. Uh, and I share this a little bit in the interview, but when I saw that book and that title, I just said I had to get that book. I had to read it. Um, it's a phenomenal book, but it's, it gives us gives a different perspective of youth ministry. Because um, the reality is, is we've been doing the same youth ministry model uh, per se, since like the 1940s, maybe has changed and tweak over time. But it's, it's the same idea, same model. Uh, and it's just not being effective when you look at research when it comes to specifically millennials and Generation Z is just has not been effective. So I, I was very thankful to have the opportunity to talk to him and dive into that uh, a little bit more in detail. So stay tuned as we talk with Dr. Andrew Hurt. Hey guys, I am really excited and pumped up about this week's episode. We're going to be talking about a topic I think every one of us, one of us kind of wrestle with when it comes to youth ministry, uh, one form or another, but I'm really excited about who we're going to be interviewing today, and that is Andrew Root. And of course, Andrew, for maybe for those who may not know who you are, uh, how about you introduce yourself a little bit, but maybe your journey in ministry and what you're up to right now. Yeah, thanks, man. First of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, it's great to be with everybody. Uh, yeah, my name is uh, Andrew Root. As you said, I uh, live in the Twin Cities, so uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Minneapolis obviously has been in the middle of quite a bit of news here lately, so we're uh, not only living through a pandemic, but uh, as a lot of people are now, a lot of social unrest and things like that, so it's... Uh, been painful and beautiful um, all at the same time. So I uh, teach at a seminary up here. I've taught here for 16 years, a school called Luther Seminary. And uh, yeah, so I run the, we have a, a fairly big youth ministry program. Uh, we call it Children, Youth, and Family Ministry. And I've been running that for a while and spent a lot of my time writing books and uh, talking about ministry and pastoral identity and youth ministry and cultural philosophy and things like that. That's kind of my thing. Now, you just released a book, I think it was back in March, if I'm correct, you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, called The uh, The End of Youth Ministry. And of course, when I saw that title of that book, it just caught my eye, and I just said I have to read that book just based off of the title itself. So how about you share a little bit about what led you to write The End of Youth Ministry? Yeah, well, it came out like right pretty much right maybe a week before like pandemic arrived for for most of us i think here in the twin cities like we went on stay-at-home order on march 12th or something like that and maybe came out a week before that so it seemed like an incredibly prophetic title the end of youth ministry as a lot of people's youth groups and just youth ministry programs had come to an end because of the pandemic and i do have to admit i mean i guess it worked for you i guess you're admitting that i mean it is a kind of uh, clickbait title and um I didn't necessarily title it, the, the publisher titled it, um, but I was the one, my contribution was to give it the question mark so that no one could be mad at me. So, um, you know, it, it could be a bold statement of the end of youth ministry. It could be more of an acquisitive, 
maybe it's the end of youth ministry. But the reason I wrote it actually is, um, I mean, this sounds very unsexy in many ways, but I was, I was asteroided. I was part of a large grant at, uh, the Yale, at Yale Divinity School in the Center for Faith and Culture, and they had a big Templeton grant that was looking at human flourishing and joy of all things. And there was a, a group of us who were looking at adolescence and this relevance for kind of Protestant youth ministry, particularly. And so in that room, I was told I was going to have to write a book. So uh, I did. And the book uh, became my own. It became my own baby in many ways. And uh, but it was wrestling with some of the big ideas that as a group we were, we were looking at, which mainly as, as uh, you and I have talked about, it kind of fronted the conversation of really what's youth ministry for and, and what's the point of it. So it's uh it's my book, but it was uh, kind of born out of a, a group process of, of a lot of big questions and thinking and things like that. Yeah, and the, uh, the primary question that is asked throughout the book is, what, like you just said, what is youth ministry for? Uh, and you talked about how uh, joy and students knowing the good, and you can define what that means here in a bit, is the purpose of youth ministry. So can you elaborate more on what that means as a, as a youth worker? Yeah. I mean, the book is, is, is weird. It's a, you know, I'll, I'll just uh, let any, any reader know up, uh, up, up top that it is a kind of weird book because it's a journey book. I mean, it's kind of the way I talk about it is it, it's like a parable that I've, I've written it kind of through a parable. So I, I place myself in this story almost like, Dante or something in uh, the Inferno where um, I take myself on a journey and the journey maybe isn't into, into hell though, you know, youth workers can decide if that's the case <laughs> in their own context. Um, but kind of on this journey of really asking what's youth ministry really for. And so meet a youth worker along the way who um, is kind of going through a transformation and meet a bunch of other people along the way that kind of opens up, up this question of, of what it's actually about and, and really do try to explore that. I think we're in a period where youth ministry, gosh, is a little bit rudderless. Like we're not really sure what we're there for. And, I, and I'm trying to make an argument that some pretty significant cultural changes have occurred that have kind of thrown, off, thrown us off balance here. And uh, those really do revolve around kind of moral codes, if you will, or um, probably to be more practical, how particularly middle-class parents make decisions on what's good for their kid. And I think this certain irony has come that's probably hard for us to face and doesn't seem very obvious at first, but the more you think about it, the more it seems clear, is that over the last 20 years, we've had parents who've become more involved in their kids' lives, at least in a lot of middle-class situations. And on, ironically, the more they've become invested in their kids' lives, we could say, the more they've become good parents, if you want to say it that way, uh, the less youth ministry actually matters as they try to get their kids to all sorts of other extracurricular activities, the AAU basketball, into drama, into test prep, into swimming, into to everything else. That It feels like youth ministry slides down, down the list. And my experience is that most youth workers, when they huddle together, um, maybe when they listen to podcasts and have a conversation, they're like, what can we do to get youth ministry up the ranking list of importance in people's and young people's lives, but even more so parents' lives. And uh, part of what my book is trying to push against is, first of all, those are really big cultural realities. Uh, it is not a simple, simple issue we're dealing with. And that maybe in the end, it's not the best thing to do to try to help youth ministry compete with other things like soccer and volleyball and things like that. Maybe there's another way we need to actually think about this. Yeah. You, you, one thing that you talked about, um, when you talk about specifically culture shift, 
uh, is something that I, I guess in, in reality I knew but never really contemplated and really thought of in depthly is the shift from the pace of the 80s and 90s. You talked specifically about those decades, about uh, us speeding to grow up. The average adolescent is speeding to grow up and how we've entered a phase to where everything is slowing down. And that's where we have kids who are getting a license by pretty much when they're in college and no longer in high school get a license. They're dating later. Um, that's the reason why the average teen pregnancy rate has gone down um, because all those factors. I guess it's only the one positive thing about it is that maybe yep. that. But the, thing, the gist of it is everything is slowing down culturally for a specifically Generation Z compared to millennials, Gen Xers. Um, in the 80s and 90s and what we grew up in. When I turned 16, I was at the DMV, get my license, get freedom, let me get out of the house, get away from my parents, uh, be with my friends. But that mentality is gone in a lot of ways when it comes to Generation Z. So you you made a a point uh, that I never really, really thought of. And and how we how that translates in how youth ministry was done in the 80s and 90s and now is different. And, um, and I think maybe uh, us as youth workers, uh, we, we're trying to produce a youth ministry that we ourselves grew up in, uh, but it does not translate to culture today. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I think we're most Protestant youth workers are kind of haunted by the ghost of congregational youth ministry in the, in the 80s and the 90s. When it really was, the point was to kind of gather, have a youth group, and the youth group was really centered on, I mean, it was centered on some good good stuff like learning the Bible and praying and things like that, but it was really centered on silly fun, and that had a purpose. I mean, that, I, I wouldn't want to disparage that. That had a real significant purpose, that kids were racing to grow up fast. I mean, it was fast times, you know, like the 80s movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Like, kids were racing to grow up really quickly, and the youth ministry could serve a purpose, which in the midst of racing to grow up really quickly, one of the goods um, to be a good parent, what you did is give your kid a lot of free time and space. Like you were, there's a lot of free space. I mean, in most communities, this may not be true everywhere, but um, like unless you want spring break to like Panama City Beach or something, and those are all college students, you don't really see kids hanging around parking lots anymore. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You don't really see a lot of kids just hanging around the mall anymore, which was just like a staple. I mean, there was a movie, you know, like a good uh, uh, Kevin Smith movie called Mall Rats back in the day where, where there was just a whole culture of just hanging out at, you know, arcades and at malls. And maybe you can find that in some kind of select communities, but that's really the exception to the rule. Most kids don't have time for that. You know, most kids uh, don't have time for that because they're out doing a bunch of stuff or they're in their room watching Netflix. You know what I mean? Like they're just yeah. not, they're just not out doing stuff. And, um, and so that, sh- that sh- just shifts the moral ground that youth ministry used to, to stand on, that youth ministry really was for slowing kids down in silly, fun games. It's like, you know, seeing how many marshmallows you can stick in your mouth and how many people can eat out of a, out of a, out of a, a rain gutter filled with ice cream. Like that all had, it was all stupid in many ways, but it had its purpose. And its purpose was kind of set in the church worrying that kids were growing up too fast. But what's happened since, I don't know, maybe early in the 2000s, but for sure in this last decade, in this kind of rising decade, I think it will happen more. Who knows what will happen after the pandemic. But that what the whole culture has actually slowed kids down. That it's just become too competitive. And actually, if you can get your mind around this, the world has become too fast, fast, 
fast paced that kids are growing up slower. Like you were saying, they're getting their license. Like my, I have a 15 year old who's going to be 16 in about three months. And he is just during this pandemic going to start driver's ed. And he's just kind of like, eh, maybe I will, maybe I won't. For every friend that I knew of, like your birthday, you got your parents to take you out of school and you went to the DMV and you came back at the end of the school with your driver's license. And we're like, it's freedom time. And then you spent like three years driving too fast, racing your friends, doing stuff that could kill you, you know? Um, but that's what you did. And my parents just kind of didn't care. No. Well, my own kid, it's like, if he's going to drive, I'm going to be with him. I don't know. You know, we even have laws now in Minnesota. Like he can't really drive alone by himself until he's, you know, um, or not with any other kids in the car, I should say, until he's like 18 years old. And, and so the, the, the whole culture starts to slow them down. And it becomes a big question of what's youth ministry for when the culture's slowing down? What, what, when, when the kids aren't going too fast but too slow, what becomes the kind of real point of, of youth ministry? And, and so the second half of the book tries to really explore that. Yeah, in, in the book, one thing that you did is you uh, interviewed three different families. And pretty much, and there were some similarities, uh, some, I mean, some differences between the three, but one similarity that I kind of got across, and I, and I think everyone who's listening has dealt with this in their own uh, youth group and youth ministry, is struggling to compete with kids, what kids are doing. Uh, struggling to compete, you kind of mentioned that earlier as well, is is to strive to compete in the, the business of parents and, the, and family and how how youth group wraps around that. And I think sometimes it's so frustrating to us as youth workers as we're trying to get kids involved because we want kids to grow in their faith. We want um, them to grow closer to God um, and disciplines of the faith. Uh, but we feel like sometimes we can feel like that that's not happening because they're absent um, for what's going on in the church because of all these activities that um, that parents are prioritizing. And so it's it's a it's a struggle uh, as as a youth as a youth group as a youth leader youth workers it's, it's a struggle of how to get parents to see that things have gone as a priority. Um, and so. Uh, can you kind of maybe elaborate more on that aspect yeah. of, of how, how, what are some, maybe some strategies? I know this is, we can talk about this earlier, but what are some strategies that maybe we can, as youth workers, can engage parents yeah. um, outside of the realms of youth group yeah. or youth ministry? Yeah, I mean, it's really important and it's, it's a really growing edge, I think, too. We have to continue to think about this and wrestle with it. So any suggestions I make are only the beginning of the conversation. But uh, I think, you know, you referenced the parents that I interviewed and what they all said, and this was like people who are super committed to their church, people who are kind of committed to their church, and people who never go to church. You know, that's the, it was across the board, these parents I interviewed. But all of them said that one of the, the most important things that they tried to do for their kid was to help their kid find their thing that they're finding your thing was really important. And that was really connected to the sense that finding your thing, which I, you know, they all use that phrase. And it meant like finding out if you're into basketball or finding out if you're really an actor or fi finding out what, if you're a musician, like finding your thing was so important. And um, all of them think, thought it was really important to find your thing because you as a parent, didn't actually have much say on how your kid would define themselves. In other words, how your kid would construct their identity. And those identity open, the identity options were just 
open wide. I mean, I think that's one of the anxieties that a lot of our parents um, in our ministries live with and that they often can't articulate or express, but that really one of the main cultural changes that has happened is there's just been an escalation of identity options. You know, like in the eighties or nineties in the heyday of youth ministry, there were really like, you know, I mean, where this is reductive a little bit, but there were like eight, 10 identities you could be, you know, you could be the jock, you could be the nerd, you could be the athlete, you could be the burnout. Like, you know, if you watched um, breakfast club, that was like basically the options. And if you weren't one of those things, you got bullied on to being one of those things. But now for really good reasons, and I think, and we should celebrate this, we don't really believe that anymore. We believe that there's a unique identity for every human being and that everyone can figure out who they are and express who they are. But then as a parent, you don't have much say on it. Like you, you really can't do much other than get your kid involved in a bunch of things and help that thing create an identity. But this then is right exactly where you're saying the competition comes. Because if I'm a parent and I have to think what's good for my kid, and as you referenced, like the good, if I have to think what's good for my kid, I all of a sudden, I have to do a calculus. And it's not an it's not a calculus I actually do on paper and can show you. That would be helpful for a youth worker because then you could at least talk through why they're, why parents are making this decision. It's a calculus that you just feel in the back of your head. But when all of a sudden something conflicts, like Wednesday Youth Group and the third place game of the baseball tournament, you have to decide which one you're going to take your kid to or which one you're going to encourage your kid to go to or which one you're going to tell your kid they have to go to. And almost every time the parent will pick the not church thing. Um, Church will be lower than all of those other things. And so moving forward, what we can do, I mean, at one thing as a youth worker, you can bang your head against the wall and try to make parents feel bad about that. Um, Or you can recognize there's something bigger at stake that's more beautiful and actually try to move past thinking about our youth ministries as just another thing amongst other things. And actually remember that all youth ministry really is for, and by all I mean it's for something much bigger, that what youth ministry is really for is helping young people live into a deeper narrative, and a narrative of a God who has been incarnate, crucified, and resurrected. And really where we find our identities is not in the extracurricular activities we do, not in the things, but it's inside a deep story. And um, what young people need is a story. So I think one of the things we can really practically do with parents is help them articulate to their kids the story of faith, to help them even express in a narrative shape why church matters or why they have questions and doubts about it. But we as youth workers should be really wanting to expose young people more to narratives and stories of people in the community, um, of, of people in the church community, of, of stories of of the Christian um, of the Christian life lived, more than just trying to get them to come to our thing. And so I think that becomes a very different kind of paradigm shift. And, and what's most fundamentally transformational for young people, I think, and for parents, is finding and learning to tell their own story inside this larger story of God's own act and being um, in the world. And so that gives us a, more of a challenge, but it also gives us some freedom. And it gives youth workers the freedom that you don't have to fight to make your thing, your youth group shinier and more engaging than, you know, basketball or soccer or whatever other thing. You just can't do that. But you can really focus on relationships and the stories and exposing young people to the stories within the church. Yeah, one thing that there's two things that I, well, there's one thing I'm seeing and there's two solutions 
uh, in my opinion, and there's others, it's just solutions that I see um, that's more, um, more applicable to smaller churches, smaller church settings. Uh, but uh, we're already seeing this across the country in some ways where midweek programs, uh, Wednesday night or whatever it is, midweek programs are slowly dying. Because uh, again, it, we are competing with sports, activities, uh, you name it. We're, it's a competition. We kind of talked about that just a minute ago. Uh, but one thing that I'm I'm seeing, and I think it's great, is youth ministries pivoting. Seeing this and then pivoting to where some of them are actually eliminating their midweek programs and entering small groups within the homes, which allows the opportunity to be more intimate, intimate conversations, which does set up those narrative uh, type environments. Um, also, the second thing is uh, partnering with parents, specifically ministering, providing resources, um, helping parents and partnering with them when it comes to discipling their their student, their teenager, even providing resources, training, or whatever it, it, whatever it's, the needs are within your church context. But those are the two pivoting points that I'm I'm seeing more and more uh, that I think is will be beneficial long term uh, when it comes to kind of meeting this aspect of the way culture is shifting, things slowing down, and parents, and all honesty, not prioritizing church as much as it was back 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, I think those are two really, uh, really important things. And, I, you know, I think one of the things that happens when we stop thinking about youth ministry as a thing in competition with other things um, is that we can start learning actually from smaller churches. Um, we can start learning from churches that don't have big, huge youth ministry programs and recognize that those communities have found ways um, to pass on faith to their to their kids uh, to their young people that we can we can learn from. But if it's just about competition of thing, then you know if you have some kind of youth program, you can look at another church and be like, well, they don't even have a full time youth worker, so they have nothing to teach me. But that's only true if you're trying to you know compete uh, amongst all those other things. But if it's really about partnering with parents, about inviting parents to share faith with young people, about helping young people be able to narrate why the other things that they're really involved in in their life have meaning to them and have meaning next to even their Christian confession um, and walking with them and, and figuring that out. Um, then we have, a, we have a lot to learn from each other. And it's not just big churches have to teach small churches how to do things, but everyone has, has participation um, within this. So it, it actually has a way, I think, of breaking some of the middle-class cul-de-sac that actually happens sometimes in um, congregational youth ministry, which only the churches with the big youth budgets are the churches that can teach us something. And I actually think it's quite the opposite here. Um, if we can get really clear on the cultural moment we're in, it may be true. Only really, really big churches can compete and have such flashy youth programs that they can compete and a kid will go, I would rather go to Wednesday night youth group than go to my championship game. Um, that would be crazy. I still don't think it will ever happen, but you would have to be a huge church with, you know, like Drake who plays on one Wednesday <laughs> night or something for, for that to occur. Uh, that's out of reach for just about everybody. Um, but if we change the paradigm here, and this is really about journeying with and hearing narratives and stories and trying to seek for God 
up against and even write our own identity stories in the shape of Jesus Christ's own story, then we have a lot to learn from, from each other and maybe a lot to learn even from really small churches that are faithfully living this out. No, I agree. Um, I've been a part to large church settings all the way down to small church settings and everything in between. And one things, some things I've been seeing over the years is that sometimes large churches have it right, and they and they have when the kids graduate out, even though they have a large youth group, uh, they're on fire for God. They're uh, keeping their faith and not walking away from faith when they graduate. Um, and but sometimes, a lot of times, I'm seeing the opposite. Uh, and some small, larger churches as well. If you're, if the focus is only on fun, if the focus is only on the pizza party, youth group, fun, trying to compete with kids' time, trying to get in there. If that's a mentality, then, in all honesty, the spiritual health of that youth group is not where it needs to be. So the size of youth group really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And in all honesty, and I think you're you're on point with that, that you can learn just as much from a smaller church, if not more sometimes, uh, than you can larger church settings. So numbers in, in itself is really not relevant when it comes to long-term spiritual help um, of your of your youth ministry. So I absolutely agree. So now I know we talked a lot about, you gave us a lot of advice in different areas, but if you had a pinpoint one piece of advice that you would give youth workers in their ministries, what would it be? Uh-huh. So I would give um, maybe two. I mean, one we, we've circled around quite a bit, but is really to focus on the story more than the thing. Like just, you know, give yourself a break. It'll be better for you. It'll be better for the church. Um, try to think of ways to have, if you do have, have the luxury of having a, a youth group, try to make it more porous on the edges where you're inviting other people into it when you're getting, getting kids involved um, with others. But then the other big piece of advice I would have is a very, something that I think will be kind of confusing to people at first, but I think is really important, um, is that you have to, I think, in a very kind of Christian disciplined way, in a discipline of the spirit, I think, one of the key things of any context of ministry, maybe particularly youth ministry, but all ministry, is you just have to be willing to wait. You have to faithfully attend to these people, love them, dwell in the depth of, of the Christian tradition and the scriptures, but then wait. Wait for God to move. Um, wait in prayer for God to move. I mean, this book, I think one of the critiques of it might be that this journey I meet of this youth worker named Jay, that uh, she kind of gets pushed on this journey because a kid in her youth group gets sick. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying you need just to wait till a kid in your youth group gets sick. Often the transformation comes because God moves in some way. And it might be that someone gets sick or hurt. It might just be because someone comes up with a, a, a great new thought that leads you somewhere or you feel inspired as a community to do something. But part of, I think, what we do in the ministry is that we have to wait for God to actually move. If it's a living God we serve, we have to find ways to, to listen, to be prayerfully listening. But we also have to take a deep breath and be willing to wait for a God who really is God to act and move. I think so often in youth ministry, particularly, we are hyperactive do stuff and we die doing stuff and we end up killing the church more than we help it flourish by being patient, loving people and waiting for God to move. And how will you know when God tells you to move? Hard to know. Um, there'll be some risk involved in it, but uh, you'll know when you know. Um, so that's a little bit of, uh, anti-advice advice, I think there. <laughs> no, no, I agree with that. That's um, one thing I've, I've uh, 
I'm talking from, I'm talking my own experience. I'm talking to my, by myself. And maybe those of you who are listening, this may be relating to you as well. Uh, but we talked to, we interviewed Daniel Henderson uh, a few episodes back, uh, about particularly about the importance of prayer, relying on prayer and the Holy Spirit within your ministry. And how I think, and again, I may be wrong, which I probably am, uh, but I think that element is missing nationally in youth ministries. Um, I think we, we're, as a whole, and I'm including myself in this conversation, we focus so much on leadership skills and uh, just skills in general, and being a better leader, uh, and just different things. And even, even when you go to, to average youth conference or, or a youth ministry conference, you don't hear much about prayer. And you don't hear much about leaning on the Holy Spirit, which it has to do with, and including that has to do with waiting on God. Uh, we just don't hear it. And it's absent in a lot of our ministries. And, and to be honest with you, it was absent even in mine for a period of time. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, and I think that's not even just youth ministry. I think it's kind of absent across the ministry board. I mean, what, what gets even pastors to sign up to go to a conference um, usually isn't kind of thinking about prayer and the necessity of prayer is central in your ministry. It's church growth strategies. It's how can we get more resources? It's, you know, innovation, idea, ideation kind of, uh, of, of initiatives, not what does it mean to actually hear God in prayer and what, what it might mean to actually have to wait um, for God to move. And, and I think that's something for us to think about. I mean, if, if this ultimately at the end of the day is about helping young people and all people encounter the living presence of God, that will always start and end in prayer. And that seems really pietistic and, um, and maybe a tad bit naive, but I also think it's the first step into faithfulness. Absolutely. And I absolutely agree. So if, if somebody want to get connected with you either to talk to more about this topic or just dive in more into your book, uh, what's the best way for people to get connected with you? Yeah, probably the best way for people to get connected with me. I mean, and you can always email me. I'm, I'm uh, fairly responsive to email, so you can just Google me and you'll you'll see my my Luther Seminary email, which is the best place to get a hold of me. But I have a website that's andrewroot.org. Um, there's all sorts of stuff on there, articles, uh, podcasts, um, things like that, talking about this book, um, like this one. You, you'll be able to kind of delve into that. Um, and yeah, some articles and, and things like that. And you can always also find me on that uh, that cesspool called twitter um and uh i don't do i'm not i'm not i don't have a great twitter game but you can find me on there as well um so yeah that's how people can find me well i just want to thank you for taking time and be on the podcast today thanks for having me it was great great to talk with you well guys i'm super thankful for what dr andrew root has been doing in the research and his voice uh, specifically in this area of youth ministry that I don't think is talked about enough uh, when it comes to how youth ministry is changing and evolving and how we should evolve with it and how partnering with parents is more valuable now than ever has been. Uh, so I'm just really thankful for his, his uh, input and his uh, voice in this area of youth ministry. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it's a good idea to... Uh, maybe change our mentality when it comes to uh, the whole church versus extracurricular activities issue um, and approaching it as uh, with the attitude that we are on the same team as the parents and we're trying to, um, you know, 
point their children in the right direction the same as they are instead of looking at it like a us versus them type scenario so i i really appreciated the fact that he drew that out and and uh, dwelled on that for a little bit well absolutely and and the fact that and you know this too david that youth ministry uh at least it was that way for me uh to a point in the 90s 80s and 90s has almost a, a siloed type of ministry you have the youth they're over there they're doing their own thing there's not I wasn't very much involvement with adults except for going to big church uh, but when it comes to ministry related stuff it was all separated mission trips separated um, serving was separated and it just created a silo in ministry and church world and I think I think a lot of churches are evolving out out of that because we're seeing the research how that is actually hurting uh, students because they don't understand what church is they understand what youth group is and how to uh, how to go youth group and have had a good youth ministry but when it comes to actually being the church uh they're ignorant towards that and don't understand that because they've never actually had the opportunity to be a part of the church other than a siloed ministry um so i'm really thankful he's spoken to that because it kind of opens that that as well and and uh how we can be look past that and how ministry and youth ministry will look uh, past a siloed type of mentality. So I'm, so I'm really thankful for him, for his word and what he said, and I'm looking forward to our next set of, uh, of interviews for the next couple of weeks, because we're going to be talking specifically on uh, the, how, how to have a better youth ministry and what that looks like. And it's actually going to be a two-parter, and I'm really excited for our next episode.